Morning. How are you guys today? My name is Will. I am one of the student ministry directors here at Rio. I'm excited to be here. As a church, we just went through 24 whole weeks of 1 Kings and part of 2 Kings, which really is a congratulations on our part. And we just saw the beautiful story of the kings as we worked through. And this morning, we start a new series. We start a series on the life of Peter, a series where we're going to look at this man named Peter. We're going to see him at the best of times, at the worst of times. But we're really going to see him and his friendship of Jesus, his following of Jesus. And through all these stories, through all these narratives focused on Peter, we're really going to see who Jesus himself is. So the question as we begin this morning is, what do we know about this guy named Peter? And the truth is we know a lot. You know, thousands of years back, we know really a lot about who Peter is. He's the most well-developed character in the Gospels besides Jesus. So that's a big deal because we see him all over the place. Peter's name is mentioned over 200 times throughout the New Testament. And just in reference to that, the Apostle John, the beloved disciple, is only mentioned 31 times. So we're coming to Peter with a lot of mentions. His given name was Simon Bar-Jonah, meaning Simon, son of Jonah. He's written from Bethsaida on the coast of Galilee, but when we see him this morning, he resides in Capernaum. He has a brother named Andrew that becomes a disciple of Jesus. He's a married man. We have that fact about him. He becomes one of the 12 disciples. And even amongst the 12, you know, you have the 12 disciples, and then you get down to this core group that they call the three. And it's Peter, James, and John, and he is one of them. And Peter, by far and without a doubt, is the leader of the disciples. Oftentimes, it's Peter and the disciples do such and such. Every list we have of the disciples' names, Peter is number one. He's the first to be called by name by Jesus, and where Jesus actually gives him the name Peter from Simon. Right? He's the first to confess his sinfulness to Jesus, which we see today, this beautiful picture. He receives the most severe rebukes from Jesus himself. It's just fascinating that, that Jesus and him, his relationship is just beautiful in its honesty. At least seven of the miracles that Jesus performed were for Peter or connected to Peter. Think about that. Peter, all around him, Jesus is showing himself to him. He's at the transfiguration. Besides Jesus, he's the only one to walk on water. We see him throughout the book of Acts in this ministry that he has of thousands and thousands of thousands of people coming to Jesus because of his work. We read his epistles later on in the New Testament. And Peter's an absolutely amazing man, and he's going to be a gift to us over these next eight weeks. But the truth is, of all we have and all we know about Peter, he kind of finds himself stuck between two worlds in history. The Catholic Church comes to him, and they venerate him as the first pope. For the first 300 years after Peter founded the church, he's their guy. He's the first pope. He's the one they lift up. But slowly but surely, year after year, Peter the man is absolutely forgotten. And all he becomes is a chair. He becomes a position. He becomes this place to get to. But then we go over to the other side, and we see the Protestant church. And we see Peter right away is is put on the back burner in all honesty. Because we know we're Paul people. We love the Apostle Paul. We love to read Paul. We love to preach Paul. We love to quote Paul. Paul's our guy. And Peter just becomes this caricature of a man. He's this impulsive, stubborn, reckless guy. And that's how we paint him. And don't get me wrong, Peter's going to be all of those things. But he's much more complex than that. And the reason the life of Peter is so intriguing in this series is that Peter looks a lot like you and I. When we're going to come to these stories, we're going to see ourselves 
pretty clearly. He's a complex man living in a complex world that is seeking to follow Jesus, and he does it well sometimes, and he does it poorly sometimes. We're going to see him succeed greatly and utterly fail. We're going to see him act confident and courageous. Then we're going to see him be an utter coward in other moments of his life. We're going to see him at the peak of his pride. But then slowly but surely, we're going to see this humility form in this man. This humility that produces a repentance about his sinfulness that is an absolute example to who we are as people. And here's where we're going to get down to. Peter is a man who deeply loved Jesus. And he's also a man who was deeply loved by Jesus, his Savior. And we're going to see that week after week. So our journey through the life of Peter begins this morning. And we start off in Luke 5. And Jesus meets Peter at his place of work. And Peter was a fisherman. And here's what his life would have looked like. Peter would have fished every night, all night. He would have slept all day. He would have fished every night, all night. He would have slept all day. It was an utter, monotonous, hard lifestyle that he was living. And so he'd wake up in the late afternoon, right? And he would head down to his boat. And as you think about this boat, Peter's not going to be rowing out some little canoe. But we're talking a huge, heavy, wooden fishing boat. We're talking 27 feet long and seven and a half feet wide. It's a vessel of sorts. Right, and he would get down there and he, he would get and collect all of his gear, right? And then all of a sudden he would push out and he would row and he would row and he would row. And he would go to his fishing spots that he inherited from his father, whom he inherited from his father. And he would grab his gear and he wouldn't just grab a fishing pole and cast out and see how many fish he would get that day. But he would grab these huge linen nets. We're talking a hundred feet or longer. We're talking nets that could weigh up to a thousand pounds when wet. And he would get out there that night, and he would circle it up, and he would prepare it, and then he would just reel it back in. And then he would do it again. And he would do it again. These thousand pounds nets, hundreds of times a night, going out, coming back in, going out, coming back in. Each and every night, all night long. And then as the sun began to come up, he would make his way back to shore. And when he got to shore, there would always be a crowd of people looking to get their breakfast, looking to get the fresh catch of the day. And then as he would start to close up shop, as he got rid of all the fish and he kept some, right, then his job wouldn't be over yet. But he would take those nets that he worked all night on and he would have to clean them very thoroughly and then he would have to mend up all of the broken parts and then he had to set them out to dry. And then, and only then, could he pack up and he could head back to go to sleep. And it's a morning just like this when Jesus meets Peter, and it starts in Luke 5, verse 1. It says this, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, him being Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, known by many names, but it's commonly called the Sea of Galilee. Right? And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, who was Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. All right, this is a weird request. Peter just fished all night, right? And this would have been a weird request no matter what, but it would have been much weirder if Jesus was just this strange guy who was on shore who asked Peter to, can I get in your boat and can I push off a little bit? But the truth is, Peter would have known Jesus. He wouldn't have known him well, but Peter would have heard that Jesus was this rabbi that was going around town preaching. He was teaching. He was a teacher. Not just that, but a little time back, Andrew, Peter's brother, ran up to Peter one day. And he said, Peter, I have found the Messiah. 
Right? It's a big deal in, in Andrew's mind. And Peter goes, okay, I'll go and meet him. So he introduces him to Jesus, right? And that's when Jesus actually changes Simon's name to Peter. But we have no response from Peter after he meets Jesus. And in just the chapter before, Jesus is at Simon Peter's house. Simon's Peter's mother-in-law is ill. She has a huge fever, and Jesus miraculously heals her from that. So we know... That Peter, the least he can do right now, okay, I'll push out a little from the boat. I don't want Jesus to have to go for a swim. I'll do it. And the verse continues, and he says, And he sat down, he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who is Peter, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And this is a much bigger ask than just pushing out a little bit. And you have to think about what Peter's thinking in his mind. If Jesus understands exactly what he is asking of Peter, Peter knows that Jesus would have been at that shore before. He would know what the lifestyle of a fisherman is. He would know the schedule of a fisherman. Jesus would have had to know that the huge hundred-foot-long nets have already been cleaned. They've already been mended. They've already been sitting out to dry so that their day can be over. Jesus had to know that now this is the time that Peter, after a long night of fishing, can finally go home and get some rest. And Peter, in a respectful yet questioning way, Answers, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the net. And Peter tries a very respectful reason not to do what Jesus is asking. Right? And again, get in the mind of Peter. He has to be thinking, Jesus, I just heard your talk. Really good teacher. Prime teaching. I enjoyed every second of it, and I was even glad that I got to be a part of pushing you out on this boat. But why don't you just stick to that? And let me handle the fishing portion. Right? We fished all night long and we got nothing. And if you knew anything about fishing, fishing at night is the way to do it. So, Jesus, the sun's out. We're not going to get anything. And you saw when I showed up, sadly, on the shore, I had no fish with me. We already tried. We're going to need to take a break. And Peter and Jesus both know that this sounds like a crazy idea. It's a crazy idea to go out and let down the nets during the day after a night of catching nothing. But this is kind of Jesus' MO. He comes to Peter, and he comes to us oftentimes, and he asks us to do things that seem crazy in the moment, that seem to be something that we don't understand what he's doing. But Jesus is God. He knows exactly what he's doing. And Peter just gives in. And you can imagine the other guys in the boat, because he would have needed help to let down these 100-foot-long nets, they would have started giving him some nasty glances when he, they imagined that Peter's really going to hurt their sleep that day. But Peter obeys. And the important part is that Peter obeys at Jesus' word, and he lets down the net. And the miraculous happens. Verse 6 says, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. And catching any fish at this point would have been miraculous, but Jesus is making this clear that this is not a normal catch. The sheer weight of the fish that they have in their nets is sinking their boats, not sinking their canoes, sinking their 27-foot-long, 7.5-foot-wide, big, heavy, wooden fishing vessels. And they're calling over all their friends. They're like, okay, we need more people. We need more people. And you can imagine the crowd is starting to see that there's a huge commotion happening on the sea, and they're wondering what that's about. And it's a joyous celebration for these fishermen. 
right? More fish is better. <laughs> and they're just pulling them in, pulling them in, pulling them in. They're celebrating. They're laughing. They're having a wonderful time. But then we zoom back in on Peter. He's not laughing. <laughs> He's not celebrating. He's not having this wonderful time. Peter is totally wrecked by what he just witnessed. Verse 8 says, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter's already taken his hands off the net. Right? He's starting to walk over to Jesus, and the bow of fish are just flopping everywhere. And he falls down at the feet of Jesus prone. He's just in utter shambles about what he has just witnessed. Because he realizes through this that the man standing in front of him is the Messiah that his brother talked about. That the man standing in front of him is God in the flesh. You can imagine as he was watching all of this, as he was watching Jesus control the fish, that he's, as he was watching Jesus control the waters, he started remembering the tales he heard from the Torah. Right? Knowing that only God can control the sea. Only God can control the fish in the sea that God created the heavens and the earth, that it was God who separated the water in the sky from the water in the sea. It was God who filled every part of the water with fish, that it was God who brought about the floodwaters, that it was God who receded the floodwaters, that as Peter's people stood at the bank of the Red Sea when an army coming in around him, it was God who parted that water to bring them to safety. And he knows that the God who did all of this, he knows that the God who controlled all of those waters back then is the same God who was right now sitting in his boat. And Peter's response is a universal response of every person in the Bible who consciously enters into the presence of a holy God, of a person who enters into the fact that this is God and I am not. Because when you enter into the presence of holy God, his ultimate light shines on you into the deepest parts of your soul, into those recesses that you don't want anyone else to know about, into all of the sin that you have is utterly exposed. And the glory of who he is reveals just how sinful we are. And that is what causes Peter to become unhinged in his boat as the fish are flying around him. But notice Jesus' response. Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid. And how can Jesus say this? Because there should be some natural fear for a sinful man to be in the presence of a holy God. The magnitude of difference between the two is cause for serious concern. Jesus knows that Peter has no ability to make himself better. Jesus knows that Peter has no ability to cleanse himself from his sin. Jesus knows that Peter has no chance to become holy in and of himself. But again, he's staying in the presence of God. This God who left heaven and came down to earth for this purpose. As he looks at Peter in that boat, right there in front of him, on his knees... Jesus knows the path that he's going to take soon in his future for Peter's salvation. As he's looking at Peter, Jesus knows that he's going to be arrested. As he's looking at Peter, Jesus knows he's going to withstand an unfair trial. As he's looking at Peter, Jesus knows he's going to be beaten. He's going to be abused. He's going to be tortured. And Jesus knows that the ultimate part as he looks at Peter 
is that he's going to be hung on a cross in between two thieves. And he knows all of this is happening for Peter's salvation moment right in front of him. Jesus knows that it's utterly worthwhile that the salvation that Peter so desperately needs is going to be found in him. Jesus' sacrifice will cleanse Peter, but Jesus doesn't stop there. After this cleansing moment of Peter, Jesus says to him, from now on you will be catching men. Jesus Jesus doesn't just save Peter from something, but he saves him for something. Right After the cleansing of Peter, Peter now receives his purpose for the rest of his life. Peter receives the mission for what he has been saved for. He tells Peter that all of the fishing you've been doing in your past has created something in you. And now you won't be catching fish, but you'll be catching men. Now the mission of your life is we'll be taking the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to the multitude. And Peter accepts his new mission. In verse 11, it says, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So our story focused on Peter. But we see the group of fishermen around him respond in the exact same way way. They left everything behind. And think about what everything means in this case. Their fishing wasn't just a hobby, but it was a pretty well thought out small business at the time. Everything they've worked for in the past, they left behind. Every future hope and dream they have, they're leaving it behind. Think about the miraculous catch. It's still sitting in the boat that they left behind. They leave empty-handed. Because this moment in their lives, they found something far more valuable than the fishing business. They found something far more valuable than even the monetary value of what a huge catch would have been. And they leave it all behind. They walk away finding Jesus far more valuable than anything that they could ever ask for or want in this life. And they walk away from it all and they follow him. Peter was the first to be called as a fisher of men. Right, as this evangelist that's going to go to the nations and is going to take the life-changing, grace-giving gospel of Jesus to the people. But he's not the last one. Right, it's the call, it's the mission, it's the purpose of everyone who calls Jesus Savior. And Jesus, after his resurrection, after he spends some time on earth in his glorified body, as he's about to ascend back into heaven, for his final teaching, his final word, his final message to his people, he says this. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I, Jesus, am with you always to the end of the age. Right? That call just wasn't to the people in attendance, but it's the call, just like I said, to all of us who have found faith in Jesus. And just like Peter, this has the ability to uh, cause a little bit of fear to rumble up. Right? Because this is a life-changing message. Right? It changes all of our lives because it changes all of our relationships. No longer are family members just family members. No longer are coworkers just coworkers. No longer are teachers and students that are around us at school just teachers and students. But these are people with eternal souls that are desperately in need of the saving love of Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit convicts and faith in Jesus saves, and we, all of us who call on Jesus, get the honor and the privilege to be part of those people's stories. 
A part of their story is by inviting. A part of their story is by praying. A part of their story is by asking, by living life with them. A part of their story is by being that person they can come to when everything seems to be falling apart. A part of that story through the very lives that they see us ourselves living. And this can feel like a burden. This can feel overwhelming. But actually, in this passage, Jesus equips us to become fishers of men. He shows us exactly what it looks like to do that. Right, so Jesus comes to us, and through the passage we just read, he shows us four things about it. Right, four things that a fisher of men are is one, they teach the word of God. Two, they obey the commands of Jesus. Three, they humble themselves at his feet. And four, they value Jesus Christ above all. So the first one, fishers of men, evangelists, as they're known now, know how to teach the word of God. What does Jesus do as soon as he gets in the boat? He sits down, he gets in the posture of teaching, and he exposits the word of God. And that phrase, the word of God, is common to us now, but that was one of the very first times in Jesus' ministry that we hear it in that way. He sits down and he teaches the people. He teaches Peter. So the question for us is, are we people who know how to teach the word of God? And we're not just talking about professionally with lights on. We're not just talking about professionally when a microphone's in your hand. But in our everyday conversations, are we able to convict people with the use of Scripture? Are we able to encourage people with the use of Scripture? Do we have the ability to know Scripture itself to where it's going into every aspect of our relationships? Right? And do we know it? And that's why here at Real we have things like personal worship. That's why you can be in the Scriptures, being walked alongside of this five days a week. That's why we have Sam's Wednesday night Bible study and the Real Women's Bible study. That's why the Out of Water podcast exists. They talk about Scripture in a very, sometimes heady way, but a very reasonable explanation of what it exactly is. We have the ability to grow in our knowledge of Scripture. The second thing fishers of men are, are they obey the commands of Jesus, even when they seem crazy. Think about how this story went. What is Peter asked to do before the miracle happens? Before he knows what's going to happen next, Peter, before the miraculous catch, is asked to obey. Peter obeys the word of the Lord and then the miracle happens. So will we obey the mission that Jesus has called us to? Because if we're honest, evangelism in 2021 in South Florida looks a lot like Peter the night before fishing. It looks a lot like throwing out your net and bringing it back in and finding nothing. It looks a lot like throwing out the net and bringing it back in and finding nothing. It looks a lot like throwing out the net, bringing it back in and finding nothing. It looks like a lot of prayers day and night, year after year, for the loved one in your family to come to know Jesus, and it just doesn't seem like the needle has moved. It's a lot of conversations day in and day out with your coworkers, just just hoping and praying that they find Jesus. Yet, oftentimes, nothing happens. It's struggling to persevere and continue to throw out that net time and time again. Yet this is what Jesus is calling us to, just like he called Peter to. He's asking us, will you continue to obey even if the miraculous doesn't happen right then? Will you be able to persevere? Will you continue to pray? Will you continue to tell? Will you continue to ask and invite even if you hear no after no after no after no after no? Because what Jesus has promised to us? Behold, I will be with you to the very end of the age. He's not giving up on them, and he's not giving up on us now. So will we continue to obey Jesus on the mission that he has called us to, 
knowing that obedience comes before the miracle. Three, fishers of men, evangelists, humble themselves at the feet of Jesus. Just like Peter, when he sees Jesus, he just falls down at his feet. Right? Because God is God and we are not. And our only response in the means of a holy God, in the presence of a holy God, is to fall down in humility. So will we give our lives to the God whom all power and authority comes from? Will we daily humble ourselves at his feet, saying, God, you are God and I am not, and I will do what you ask of me? And lastly, just like Peter and the rest of the group, fishers and men, evangelists, value Jesus Christ above all else. Will we walk away from our boats? Will we walk away from everything that we've held on to dearly? And that's not saying walk away from your job tomorrow. right? But it's saying, do you value Jesus more than your job? Do you value Jesus before your financial security or your comfortability? Do you value Jesus more than even your family? Will you go and value Jesus more than your reputation at the office, more than that ability to get a promotion? Will you value Jesus above all else? Because a life where Jesus is the ultimate value is a beautiful, satisfying, and here's the best part, it's a noticeable life to the people around you. Because it's so absolutely different than the people in our city. Because here it is. There's multitudes of people in our city, in our families, in our homes, in our schools right now that are in desperate need to meet the Savior in the boat just like Peter did. So the question is, will we be followers of Jesus who teach the word of God, who obey the commands of Jesus, who humble themselves at his feet, and who value him above all else, for the sake of those multitudes that we know and love coming to know him as Savior. And here's the thing. It's not about filling up these seats. It's not about Rio's name going out. It's not about will being known. It's not about you being known. But it's the fact that there are people dead in their sin, and there is a Jesus who can make them alive again. And that's the reason that fishers of men exist. That's the reason that we can value Jesus above all else. And with the power of Jesus, I believe that we can actually see that. You know, that, that, that sounds crazy, and I feel like I sound crazy when I say that, because it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't look like that right now. My physical eyes don't see that. But we have a Jesus who saves. Jesus will do the work of resurrecting their souls. All we have to do is be faithful to the mission he has set before us. So a couple of questions and we're done. First, have you come to know Jesus as Savior in light of your sin? Have you had that moment in the boat, just like Peter did, of seeing Jesus and seeing your sin and knowing that something outside of you has to save you? Two, where do you need to grow as a fisher of men? Do you need to grow in your ability to teach the word? Do you need to grow in your obedience to the commands of Jesus? Do you need to humble yourselves this morning? Are there things in your life right now that you value higher than Jesus and your life needs a little reorganizing? The loves of your heart need to be changed. Lastly, who's on your alpha list for the fall? Who are you praying about? Who are you seeking to invite? Who are you preparing through prayer and all of this to say, okay, I'm inviting them to alpha no matter what happens in between? Right? Because Jesus has called us to this mission. It's a mission he's put us all on. and It's a mission that he is not going to leave us with, but he is with us in the end all the way through it. So pray with me. 
Our Father and our God, Lord, you have called us to something great. You've called us to something that at times can be scary. You've called us to something that at times can be intimidating. But there is nothing more beautiful than seeing our friends, seeing our co-workers come to know the saving love of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we just thank you that you're a God who saves. We just thank you that you're a God who calls us out onto that boat, who asks of us something, Lord. But you give us back eternally so much more. So, Lord, we just pray right now for your Holy Spirit to fall in this place. God, we just ask that you would convict us of our sin. We just ask that you would show us exactly who you are this morning. For those of us who don't know you, would you just show yourself faithful to us? For those of us struggling, would you just meet us in your grace, God? But would you build up Rio as a beacon of this city to be fishers of men? That we wouldn't just live inside these four walls and walk out of here, but Lord, that we would take your word, your grace, the life-changing gospel that you've given us everywhere we go. We just thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.